You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1354 of the Lot on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on Thanksgiving Eve, Wednesday, November 23rd. And today's podcast will be breaking down what became a win for the Hawks at home over the Sacramento Kings, the red-hot Sacramento Kings. In fact, the Kings had won seven games in a row as they arrived in Atlanta. The Hawks are now 11-7 and with this victory, 7-3 and at home, and uh, playing to get to from a topsy-turvy game. The Hawks were awesome in the first half, especially on offense. Second half, not so much on offense. They were pretty solid defensively, though, against the previously scorching hot Kings. And uh, before we dive into the game itself, I do want to remind you to make it your first listen each and every day on this podcast. Lots of Hawks is available across podcasts platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, as well as on the video side over at YouTube. And yeah, basically a interesting game in a lot of different ways, but the Hawks were uh, not able to cruise in this one. There were some highs. Trey Young was much better than he has been recently on offense, made a bunch of shots in this one. Defensively, the Hawks were pretty stingy, but we'll have plenty of nuance to get into from this one and also the Kevin Herter return. So this is the first time Kevin Herter has ever come back to the Hawks and to Atlanta as a member of the opposition. Uh, he got a notable ovation from Hawks fans before the intros of the uh, starting lineups and then also during the sort of mid-quarter Tribute in the first quarter, uh, warm reception. Nate McMillan said that about he was kind of happy about that from the from the fans. Nothing really negative on that. Obviously, there have been lots of talk about Herder's absence and the trade, and I've shared my thoughts many times about that. But if you missed that, I was not a, a huge fan of that move from a transactional standpoint. Regardless, though, he's been playing great this year. He was not fantastic in this game. He was totally fine, but wasn't like he was lighting the world on fire. But, uh, yeah, obviously good to see a reaction that was pretty warm for Herter in his return. And that was sort of the broad headliner of the night coming in was that they were playing against the Kings and also Herter. But Sacramento has been awesome in recent days. I don't think anybody expected the Kings to be quite this so far. Um, I think a lot of people, including myself, projected some improvement from the Kings this year. But they had won seven games in a row as they arrived in Atlanta. They actually won in Memphis on Tuesday. That's a part of the story here is that the Kings actually came in on the second out of a back-to-back with travel. They got in very late. That was a pretty big advantage for the Hawks in terms of just having fresher legs in this spot. It is the longest winning streak for the Kings. Since 2004, I was a freshman in college when the Kings won seven games in a row last before right now. And really, their bread has been buttered on their offensive side of the floor. They have been in the top two on offense basically the entire uh, last couple of weeks and really for for the full season so far along with Boston. And they have been shooting the ball fantastically. They've been good at taking care of the ball, etc. Defensively, though, the Kings are pretty bad. And we'll get into kind of the nuance on that one, especially in the first half with just how kind of the Hawks had a parade to the rim along the way, but they were bottom five in defense coming in. They were, I think, number 29 in the league in shooting efficiency allowed to opposition. So that's all part of the story here. But the Hawks did enter this game as a small favorite. Part of that was the fact that they were playing at home and with that rest advantage, as I mentioned before. But the Hawks were, I think, steamed by odds makers at Bell Online, our friends over there. They were four and a half point favorites by tip-off. That basically tells you that the Hawks were at least viewed by the odds makers as being slightly better than the Kings even on a neutral floor, and then you throw in the home court, you throw in the rest advantage, and you get to four and a half points along the way. Um, last thing before we dive into the game itself, the injury stories on both sides. The Kings actually have a completely clean 
injury report. That's pretty rare for uh, this, time, this time of the season. They had no injuries whatsoever. The Hawks only played with Al Bogdanovich in this one. No surprise there. McMillan was asked about Bogey before the game by Kevin Chouinard of Hawks.com. And he says he's doing a little bit more and more each day. Played three on three on Sunday. Uh, I know Kevin had a video of that from Sunday's practice. Um, not up to playing five on five just yet. So we'll see how close he actually is. But for those of you that always ask about the timeline, there still isn't one officially, but he is at least getting closer, it seems, by the comments that have been made, made in public. And then DeAndre Hunter returned in this one after he missed Sunday's game with illness. So we'll get into the game now. And uh, it was kind of a slog at different points, although the first half was definitely more offensive on both sides than the second half was more of a uh, slugfest. Um, but even in the first quarter, it was kind of sluggish out of the gate. The Hawks took a bunch of long twos. They were contested in the first few minutes, missed most of them. Um, the one shot actually that went in was a Capella post-up hook shot, which is kind of funny. Not, not exactly his strength at this point in his career. But the Kings only had six points in the first six minutes. They were three and nine from the floor at the outset, and the Hawks took a 12-6 to six lead before the first timeout, despite shooting five of 13 at that point in time. Um, rotationally, it was pretty similar to what it's been in recent days. Although with Hunter back, obviously you have to remember this from a few games ago, it was Griffin as the first perimeter sub. And it had been Aaron Holiday in the recent past. The Hawks kind of tweaked that a little bit. Aaron, Aaron did play ahead of Justin in this game as the fourth wing player. But it was Griffin as the solid third guy. And then they had the quick the quick stints on the floor for a Kong Wu. And uh, also having Trey kind of come back into the game quickly. That's been a staple of the last few games. And uh, nothing else really that was surprising on the injury report. Uh, sorry, on the, on the rotational side of things along the way. Um, basically the Hawks couldn't make a lot of shots in the first few minutes of the game. Collins was over three from three. That was one of the stories of the night was that John just couldn't get anything to fall as a perimeter shooter. And we'll come back to that later on. I can assure you of that. The Hawks were up by, by as many as 10 points in the first quarter. They hung in that like eight to 10 point range for most of the way in the first. There was a really nice stretch from Jalen Johnson in the first half. Uh, he had a great rim attack and a dunk in the half court. And then he also should have had one of the transition setting. Aaron Holiday just kind of had, they had a two on one and Aaron Holiday inexplicably kind of tried to go one on one and finish through contact rather than just passing the ball to Jalen Johnson, who by all accounts is an awesome transition, transition player, uh, both as a size guy, as, as far as also just using his, uh, length and his burst and his general dexterity in the open floor for a guy who is 6'10", 6'11". So that was a weirdly bad play by Holiday, but um, Jalen was really, really effective in that first half. And the Hawks were up by nine at the end of the first quarter. They had a 130 offensive rating in the first half, and it definitely seemed clear to me in the first half that the Hawks were trying to take advantage of Sacramento's vulnerability on the interior. So the Kings are pretty bad defensively across the board, but they're almost worse around the rim. Demonis Sabonis is a very, very good offensive player, but he's a pretty shaky defensive player, to, to say the least. Also, the Kings play pretty small, so there's not a whole lot of, uh, let's, let's just say, resistance near the rim, and the Hawks had kind of a parade to the paint, at least not necessarily all the way to the rim, but certainly a bunch of like floater range shots in this one, a lot, lot, lot of 12-footers along the way. And the Hawks definitely tried to uh, target that. You know, I, I'm definitely someone who talks about the Hawks need to take more threes. I still believe that in a lot of ways, but I definitely understood the game plan more in the first half of this one because the Kings are so bad around the rim. And the Hawks also took care of the ball quite, a, quite well in the first half, only three turnovers before halftime in this game. Defensively, though, it was pretty good in the early going. They held the Kings to exactly one point per possession in the first half. Sorry, the first quarter. That was a very, very solid mark against, against uh, again, a team that's been extremely hot offensively but the Hawks did lead by as many 15 points early in the second quarter a 9-3 run out of the gate Jalen Johnson again as I talked about a second ago with his stint in the first half showing his transition appeal with it with that burst in transition 
He also had a nice really like step through move that was under control in the half court and a good finish from like five feet out. He had eight points in his first seven minutes. Aaron Holiday also made a couple of catch and shoot threes. That's a uh, undervalued play of of Aaron Holiday's. He's not he's not exactly lighting it up this year necessarily, but I will say he has been a quality catch and shoot guy in the half court settings in previous years. Like he's a career like thirty seven percent three point shooter, and if he's just if he's set, it's a pretty good look for him. Not, not not a shot creator, not a good distributor for someone his size, but he definitely can make shots if he is left alone. The Hawks also just kind of played even from there in the first half. Um, the Hawks were plus six in the holiday Jalen Johnson minutes in the first half, which is definitely a positive. They were up by 13 when the bench actually came in mid-quarter. I will say this as someone who was in the building on Wednesday, uh, the one of the loudest crowd pops of the entire night was the, when a fan made a half-court shot in the first quarter during a timeout for, I guess, 10 grand, something like that. That was, that was a pretty awesome moment for that guy. So a nice, uh, fun moment in the arena. But the Kings didn't really stop coming. They got within 10 in the second quarter. Um, I thought Trey, though, was really getting com- getting comfortable getting into spots. And the Kings kind of just left him alone a few times, which is a little bit strange. But defensively, they were kind of a mess at times. Capella had a nice stretch. We had a block on De'Aaron Fox and then a three-point play along the way to put the Hawks back up by 16. Um, that sequence also had a nice catch-and-shoot moment from, from DeJounte Murray. Trey had one of his trademark, just fantastic passes to set up Murray. I would like to see more catch-and-shoot, like actually just in rhythm stuff for DeJounte Murray in general. That was uh, good to see in that moment. Not super importantly, but in the final minute of the first half, the Hawks could have gone offense defense pretty easily with like 17 seconds to go. They had a timeout and the ability to sub going into offensive possession with Aaron Holiday on the floor, and they left him in the game. That was a weird moment. Again, not a huge thing. Does it change the game? No. But uh, Nate's been pretty eager to do these offense-defense subs, which I actually kind of like, generally speaking. But I think we could probably uh, agree that Aaron Holiday is not one of their best five offensive players. So that was kind of a weird non-sub when he's been doing it a little bit more. The Hawks are up by 15 points at the break. And generally speaking, it was an awesome first half for the offense. They had a season high with 72 points in the second quarter. And they had 37 points in the, in the uh, sorry, 72 points in the first half, 37 points in the second quarter. Both were season high. So 37 in the second quarter, 72 in the first half. Pretty crazy. A 136 offensive rating for Atlanta. Before halftime, they shot 67% on two-point attempts. That is obviously elite. They had 34 points in the paint. They only took 14 threes, but that was okay with me in this spot. Really attacking the Kings on the inside. And uh, almost more importantly, only three turnovers in the entire first half. Uh, Trey had 17. He was much better in this game, efficiency-wise on offense. And then uh, defensively, they weren't fantastic by the numbers, but when you adjust for opponent, the Kings uh, being a high-scoring team that they are, they did a decent job on that end of the floor, really the entire game. So I want to at least flag that now just to say, because we're going to get into the second half in a second, and the Hawks kind of offensive outage. But the Hawks played good defense. It was kind of a microcosm of the season in that while I'm guilty of this as well, there's been a lot of talk about the offense, and there should be. You know, it's part of the story of the season. The Hawks have been used to being a top five offensive team. Last year, number two in the league. And this year, they're not that. They've not been that so far this year. And given the sample through the first 18 games, it's probably safe to assume the Hawks are not going to be a top two offensive team in the league again this year. But they have been so much better defensively. And again, tonight is one of those games where last year, or maybe even the year before, especially that last year, though, they lose this game because they couldn't score in the second half and they didn't get enough stops, generally speaking, last year to get a lot of those wins. This time around, they were they are more than capable of getting enough stops defensively, which definitely t- helps to lift the tide and get a win in this spot. But we'll get in the second half and all the nuance that comes with it, as well as the individual player observations, a look ahead briefly to Friday's game and much more. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. 
Today's show is brought to you by Turo, and Turo is the world's largest car-sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car that you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts and where you can browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., the U.K., Canada, and coming soon to Australia. Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip or get a classic or luxury car for a special event, a birthday, or a holiday. Find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget and just want to get point A to point B. And test drive that new electric vehicle you've had your eye on as well to see how it fits in your everyday life. Many tour hosts can even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Term, conditions, and exclusions apply. Forget boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. The second half was kind of a slog in general, but it wasn't quite as bad in the third quarter. The Kings scored 31 points in the third. The Hawks were, you know, middling with 25. But the fourth quarter, as a spoiler alert, was 18 to 18. So you can kind of picture that if you missed the game. But uh, the Kings threw a punch early in the third quarter. Kevin Herter scored the first five points for Sacramento to cut the lead down to 10 right away. But then there was a nice five-point possession for Trey Young in the third quarter. He was fouled by De'Aaron Fox on a three-point attempt. Trey made it. He was going to the line for a four-point play, and then because Fox got a technical foul, it became a five-point play for Trey to put the Hawks back up by 17 points. That was uh, one of the bigger swings of that entire quarter, actually. And they had some defensive issues, I thought, in the third at times, missed a bunch of shots. And the Kings had their best stretch of the night on offense. They had 19 points in the first, like, five and a half minutes of the third quarter. Um, They had a 7-0 run, and the Hawks were only up by six at that point. Um, When Sabonis went through a Kongwu for a layup, the Kings had a three after that. And by the way, on defense, sorry, on offense, the Hawks were four of 16 from the floor. So that combination of poor shooting, which continued, by the way, and then uh, also their worst defensive stretch of the entire game at that point was early in the third quarter. That was not a great recipe, and uh, the lead was not necessarily safe at that point. Now, they finally got some stops after that. Sacramento didn't score for about three minutes, and then Griffin had to kick out three, go back up by 12. Uh, they did trade baskets to go into the at the end of the third quarter. Trey had a pretty deep three as well. And the Hawks were uh, up by nine at the end of the third. Now they gave away, you know, almost half the lead going 15 to nine, but the Hawks were 621 from the floor in the third quarter and not great process, generally speaking. And it got even worse in the, in the fourth quarter on offense. The Kings did shoot the ball better than the Hawks did in that period, but the Hawks did win the turnover battle and they were 10 of 10 at the free throw line in the third quarter to kind of avoid the total disaster that could have happened. But as I said a second ago, the fourth quarter was truly pretty hideous, honestly. Uh, other than the free throw line, neither team did a good job on offense really at all. It was 18 to 18. It felt that way. The offense has continued to stagnate with Murray plus bench unit in the beginning of the fourth quarter. They brought Collins and Hunter back in quickly, uh, at least a lot earlier than usual to kind of kick, kick start the offense. That did not necessarily help things. The Hawks only had five points in about seven minutes to open the fourth quarter. They were one of nine from the floor and three turnovers in that point. Uh, Collins had a probably his worst quarter on offense in quite some time. He had an awful pass when he was caught in the air and uh, seemingly should have shot it around the rim and didn't want to do that. Kicked it out and was and it was stolen in the first 19 minutes of the second half. The Hawks were seven of 30 from the floor. Uh, mercifully, the Kings were not able to score either. They only three of 11 from, from the floor in the fourth quarter to start things off with four turnovers, and the Hawks were still up by seven despite all of that with about five minutes to go. Ironically, it was a broken play that actually kind of lifted the uh, <laughs> the issues for the Hawks at least a little bit on offense. Uh, DeAndre Hunter got the ball in space with about eight with like eight seconds on the shot clock, something like that, and then went into a floater and scored late in the shot clock, and then hit a three after that with Trey Young on the next possession, setting him up beautifully for a top of the key pull up, and then Trey had a three on the next possession. So the Hawks finally, after all of that, scored eight points in three possessions to kind of break it open a little bit, to go up by 13 with four minutes to go. And that really ended the game. 
on some level. Now, I will say it was not comfortable. That probably should have been the big swing, and it probably was the big swing on some level. But the Hawks had a really bad turnover near midcourt with like three minutes to go. Kings had a three to get it down to eight. So up eight with three minutes to go, it's a definitely a game. In fact, the Kings had the ball four different times down by eight in that stretch. The Hawks could not score, but mercifully again, the Hawks uh, were able to get stops because the Kings were kicking the ball around the, around the floor. Almost four trips, empty by the Kings. It was a missed layup, an offensive foul, a missed three, and then a turnover by the Kings. And basically with all of that, Trey hits a dagger three with like a minute to go, to go by 11, and that was the end of that. But the door was wide open for Sacramento in the fourth quarter. The Hawks were not able to close it, obviously, because of their offensive foibles. And we'll get into the numbers in a second. But uh, I will say shots to the Hawks' defense for getting stops. And I'm sure uh, part of the calculus has to be that the Kings were – probably dead tired after a second second out of the back-to-back with travel. And that was a nice little edge for the Hawks to kind of put things away in the fourth quarter. So broadly speaking, it was a tale of two halves for the offense, to say the least. A 136 offensive rating in the first half, again, which is super elite. The Hawks had their season high in points. And then in the second half, it was so bad that the Hawks went from a 136 offensive rating in the first half to a 111 for the game. So this is a rough number. I don't have the exact number yet. The second half has not come out yet from the league, but I would guess it was probably about a 90 offensive rating, maybe a little bit less than that in the second half of this game. It was very gross. The only positives from the numbers on the whole game were the turnover portion of these of the game, also free throws. Uh, but even then, in the second half, Locks had 10, 10 turnovers. That's a very bad half. It was just they were so good in the first half, they were able to kind of overcome that. But the free throw line was a positive. They were 22 of 23. So basically, again, Everyone on this roster, Sands Capella, is a pretty good free throw shooter. And even Clint was one of one in this game. But Trey, nine of nine. Murray, four of four. Akon was the only one who missed in this game. But basically, there's a nice um, little thing in the middle of a game that is close to have a lot of your team, basically everyone but Clint, be at least pretty reliable at the line. Still, though, the offensive numbers were so bad in the second half of this game. So in the fourth quarter alone, 18 points. They were 5 of 18 from the floor and 7 turnovers in the fourth quarter. Now, for the Hawks, that's a half or even more than a half, usually. The Hawks averaged about 12 and a half turnovers per game at seven and a quarter. That's really bad. They were one of 10 on twos. They were four of eight on threes, which is very positive. But the full second half numbers are just kind of laugh out loud funny. The Hawks shot 28% from the floor in the second half. And this is my favorite stat of the night. And by favorite, I mean least favorite if you're a Hawks fan. They were four out of 23 on two-point attempts in the second half. So everything I said earlier about the Kings being very bad around the rim defensively still applies. It didn't change in the second half. They were maybe a little bit better, but the Hawks shot 17.4% on two-point attempts in the second half. Just a crazy bad number. It's almost impossibly bad. Now, on the bright side, they did manage to shoot 7 of 16 from three, which is uh, really good, both volume and accuracy. And they were 14 out of 14 from the line in the second half. So that's how the Hawks were able to withstand what is has to be their worst shooting two-point half of the entire season. Um, that was enough, but it was a weird outage. I know there was a lot of attention paid to three-point misses that the Hawks had, particularly from Collins, and with good reason, but the Hawks really lost this lost the offensive plot in the second half by missing all kinds of twos. Mid-rangers, floaters, at the rim, it didn't matter. Everything was not going in after halftime. Anyway, defensively, it was good in this game. Now, there's part of this could be attributed again to the Kings, maybe having some tired legs and missing some shots, but 
Sacramento was a top five offense coming into the le- coming into the night, really top three overall in the league, and the Hawks held them to a 104 offensive rating. That's a very, very good number for this Hawks team. They had 19 turnovers created in this spot for 25 points off of them. Those are both fantastic numbers. The, Haw- the Kings did shoot it like at a league average level in the game in, in terms of like their overall efficiency. But basically, everything else was good for the Hawks. They had a really good job on the defensive glass. They created turnovers. They didn't allow a ton of free throw attempts either. And by the way, as the Hawks were bad in the fourth quarter offensively, so were the Kings. 18 points on 720 from the floor and six turnovers from Sacramento in that fourth quarter. So it was really kind of a mess of a second half, and particularly a mess of a fourth quarter. But it ends up being a defense-first night by the numbers for the Hawks. Now, the first half felt like an offense that was definitely cooking. And, uh, you know, maybe even finding it stride a little bit that was off the rails after halftime. But we'll get into kind of all of what transpired with the individual players in this one. But uh, the Hawks didn't play their A game, didn't probably even play their B game in this one. But once again, they managed to beat a solid enough Kings team. They did it at home. Yes, they were favorite in the game. But this is a game that could have gotten away from the Hawks and it didn't, which is a, a sort of nice result to be 11 and 7 and head into the, into the one day Thanksgiving break for Atlanta. All right, we'll get into the individual stuff in a second and a quick look ahead to Friday. But first a word from our sponsors on the show. Today's show is brought to you by bet online and basketball is in full swing as the holidays approach. And of course, football season is very much wrapping up, but also at the height of its power and bet online is the number one source for all the wagering information you're looking for. That includes stats and news and analysis this season. You can get the latest odds and trends for every pro and college league out there at bet online. And that includes of course, football and basketball, but even beyond that, they have soccer and esports and golf Tennis, auto racing, horse racing, and much more. But online is also very useful. Get your latest on the Hawks from nightly game odds and totals to how the future market happens to work on the team side or even on the individual award side. Title odds, championship odds, etc. Bet online is also the fastest and easiest way to get your sports betting fix. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at Bet Online as well. Check out Bet Online on your mobile device or your computer to learn more about all the trends and the action in the sports world. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, so it was a pretty straight-ahead rotation in this one for the Hawks. Only nine guys playing. The bench played fewer minutes than the starters, as you might imagine. Um, AJ Griffin, though, was the high-minute guy off the bench, and that makes a lot of sense. He is, I guess, you know, basically clearly carved out this role now the last handful of games as the clear third wing on the roster. I will have probably more on this when, when Bogey comes back, but getting questions about this all the time about how much he's going to play. We'll handle that later on, but AJ's been good once again. Uh, defensively, he's still a little bit behind where you would want for a veteran, but he's a rookie. So it's like, I think that overall he's been fine given where he is on that spectrum and better than I would have thought he would be at this point, which is a nice positive sign. Now offensively, he's always, he's already good. He's already a potentially uh, electric offensive player. The mid range game is what it is. He had 12 points in this one on nine shooting possessions. That's obviously a very good ratio. Three, uh, three rebounds, two assists, and uh, one turnover was plus three in the game. He took one really bad shot, but that's like you're allowed one of those, AJ, as a 19-year-old. So I think he played very well in this game, generally speaking. Jalen Johnson was better in the first half and the second half, for sure. Ended up with eight points, two rebounds, a assist, and a steal. He was not great in the second stint, and I think he didn't play as long as he probably would have if he was playing better. But the first half tent was legitimately good for Jalen. It's a reminder to everyone, including myself, and uh, just, just to keep in mind that he is a dynamic finisher around the rim, and especially when he has any kind of space to get ahead of steam. Now, the jump shooting is not great, but his ball handling in terms of like just skill with the ball in his hands is pretty high for a player of his size. So there's a lot of stuff that is un- untapped there, but uh, he definitely had some nice flashes in that first half. Aaron Holiday, his big thing in this game was making three threes. And as I said before on the podcast, he is a very capable catch and shoot guy. 
as three-point shooter. Now, he's not going to create a lot of shots for you. He's a pretty below-average to be kind passer for someone of his size, but he can knock down shots, and that was a, a nice boost in this one because the Hawks needed all the help they can get in the second half of this game. Had two steals as well. That's kind of his main uh, value is as a, pesk on, uh, a pesky guy on defense, but he was totally fine in this game, I thought, after a kind of shaky first stint on the floor. And then Okongwu was pretty quiet, had five points, seven rebounds, did have a block shot and had four fouls again in 19 minutes. Kongwu keeps fouling at a very, very high level, but he was pretty solid overall. Wasn't like excellent, but was totally fine in this game. To the starters now, um, some numbers to hit you with a lot of these guys. So we'll go to John Collins first. Uh, a lot of talk about him in this one. And look, I cannot wave away a 3 of 12 shooting that, was, that features 0 of 7 from 3 and 3 turnovers. He was not good on offense in this game. Full stop. I know I have been on the side of uh, thinking Collins has, uh, is now pretty underrated. I still believe that. And defensively, he was quite good in this game. Uh, it's not a, not a coincidence to me that he was able to kind of hold Keegan Murray down. Keegan Murray had a 0 for 5 game. It didn't really do anything on offense. Credit to Collins on some of that as well. But uh, yeah, the shooting is what it is. So I've said this before, but it's even more appropriate now. You know, he was 3 of 5 from 3 on Monday. It seemed to be breaking out of stuff a little bit. And then tonight, 0 of 7 from 3. Now, I don't know this for sure, and maybe his finger is bothering him. Maybe there's been a wholesale change, but I wouldn't bank on it. And I'm going to trust the larger sample on John Collins. So in the three seasons before this year, he shot 38.8% from three on 531 attempts. That's a pretty good sample, obviously. This year, even including tonight, he's taking 59 threes this year. Like, he's not making shots. And it's a problem because the Hawks need him to make shots because he's not going to get guarded otherwise if he doesn't make shots. That's all well and good. And in, in this game in particular, like if it's a playoff game and you, and you go over seven from three, I get it. I just don't think there's anything wrong with John Collins. We'll see if that changes in the future. Maybe the finger is a problem, maybe whatever. Maybe just like not this good of a shooter or whatever. But we'll see. I, I do think that it's important to note that like they're not using his best skill offensively very much. And that is a, as a pick and roll guy, that's not really his fault. But I think that... uh he definitely did not play well, especially in the second half. He was part of the problem, and I felt like he was pressing. Now, the first five, I think, maybe six attempts from three were like good process shots. He's wide open. He's shooting without hesitation. That's good to see. What you don't want, I know that maybe this might sound foreign, but what you don't want is Collins getting skittish about taking threes. There's inevitably a movement of people like, just stop shooting threes. Well, no, that's not. you can't have that happen. You, for spacing purposes, the Hawks need Collins to be able to be able willing and hopefully make them of course be, he has to be able to willing to shoot threes and not hesitate because of the way that they're playing if he, if he was playing as the five on offense it wouldn't matter but because he's playing with capella and playing with Conway, he's got to shoot threes on some level and eventually he'll, i think he'll make them if he doesn't it's a problem <laughs> but alas I don't, I don't think that you know i saw people like say after the game that he was this is like the worst game he's ever played or whatever no it wasn't like offensively he was not good don't get me wrong this is a bad offensive game for john collins no, no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, but he was a good defender in this game. And uh, I tend to just trust the larger sample size about his shooting. Um, there are still questions beyond that that I've been talking about for quite some time. Like he's not being utilized in the optimal way on offense, no matter what, even if he makes threes. But uh, that's a concern that we'll have to touch on later on. But uh, yeah, that's kind of my individual game evaluation of Collins. And he was pressing in the fourth quarter and it made things worse. And uh, that's what you don't want either. So we'll get back to that later on if we need to. As for... The rest of the starters. Uh, DeAndre Hunter had a kind of a mixed game. He was 13 points on 13 shooting possessions, which is not fantastic. He had 10 rebounds, though, and eight defensive rebounds. That's something huge for Hunter. You know, I've said this a lot of times, but Hunter is a very poor defensive rebounder for a small forward. 
much less playing at all at the four, but he was good in this game in that area. Had three assists as well. That's a much uh, that's much above his normal baseline there. Had a steal, had a block, but he played well defensively in general. The Hawks definitely missed him on Monday defensively, if not everywhere else, but especially on defense. And I thought he was a uh, just totally fine uh, guy on this evening. Did his job. Um, kind of bothered some shooters along the way, was uh, guarding Herter at one point, was guarding Harrison Barnes at a, at a pretty solid level as well, and did, did his job very nicely. Uh, Capella was good, as he has been for most of the season. 11 points, 14 rebounds, three blocks for Clint, 5-10 from the floor, uh, made his only free throw attempt, um, no turnovers, plus six, just a generally very good Capella game. Again, defensively, he's been awesome this year. Uh, I think he's been a top 10 defender in the, in the NBA this season. That's how good he's been. So, uh, yeah. That's pretty straight ahead. And by the way, went through Sabonis a few different times. I think they, they got a little bit too frequent with the post-up opportunities for Clint. I think that he shouldn't be posting up most of the time. But I will say, if there's a matchup for him to do that against Sabonis, it's not the worst time in the world. But I still don't think they probably should run a lot of stuff through Clint on offense. And then the backcourt guys. So Trey and DeJounte are going in different directions now in some ways. Uh, Murray had a very, very good start to the season. In his first games with the Hawks, he was shooting the ball well. He was, uh, I think, their best player the first 10 games or so of the season. But in recent days, he's actually been shooting the ball very poorly. Coming into the night, he was 39% from the floor and 20% from three in the previous six games. And in this one, he went 5 of 16 from the floor and 1 of 4 from three. So part of that's just noise. He's going to shoot better than this. His mid-range shooting is, has been good for two years now, basically. So I'm not worried about that. But he has not been playing very well on offense. He's had kind of a shorter leash on offense a little bit the last couple of games. I wonder that um, if, as they try to get Trey going, they might have a little bit less rhythm for DeJounte. And that balancing act that the Hawks are have to f- figure out with those guys playing the backcourt is definitely in progress. But I don't think it's a total coincidence that as Trey has gotten going a little bit, DeJounte has cooled off. So we'll see how that is, what, what the equilibrium is on those guys. But Murray has been kicking it around a little bit in recent days. He did, a, he did have three steals, and I think he had at least two more impressive deflections that led to, led to other steals. So he was uh, habit-creating on defense in the way that he often does and was fine on offense, generally speaking, just didn't make a lot of shots in this game. And then Trey. So Trey's been much better in recent days. Um, last four games, including tonight, he's shooting 51% from the floor and averaging three points a game. And that sounds like Trey Young to me, obviously. He had 35 points in this one. He was seven assists. He was 11 of 19 from the floor, uh, four of seven from three, which is good to see. And then nine of nine at free throw line. Um, four turnovers is totally fine for him, given his uh, volume, generally speaking. Uh, I will say defensively, he, he was not very good in this one. Um, at, even for him, I think there was some pretty bad moments against Aaron Fox at times. Uh, but the numbers don't necessarily paint a terrible picture there. Malik Monk, Malik Monk got going for the Kings, but that wasn't really on Trey necessarily. And they kind of had Trey trying to defend Kevin Herter. Tough one for Trey there, but you, you have to hide him somewhere. And that's where they elected to put him in this game. But on, on offense, he was definitely in control, made some big shots. And I think that was a good step forward for Trey as he uh, kind of just figures out where his footing is after a slow start to the season. Again, by his standards, because Trey's still putting up big numbers, as he uh, pretty much always does, but he was not efficient the first 15 games or so, uh, you know, 12 games or so, however you want to say that. He was not great early on, but has sort of settled in, and the numbers are rebounding as they kind of always were going to. Okay, so that's a lot to touch on in this game. Again, broadly speaking, the Hawks kind of ended up winning this one on defense, despite having the uh, kind of season-high level performance in the first half on offense. It was a rock fight down the stretch, but the Hawks managed to escape. They're 11 and 7. They're now back above water in terms of the point differential for the season. Um, coming into the night, they actually have been over, uh, outscored for the season. 
which is not exactly where you want to be uh, after 17 games for a team that's trying to be uh, where they are. But they're like plus a couple of points now for the season overall. But uh, schedule-wise, it's been pretty difficult for the Hawks. For the Hawks, after the first five games, it was very, very soft. And then the last basically 12, they've had almost no days off whatsoever. Now they, they do have an easier game on the horizon on Friday, at least on paper. So with Thanksgiving coming on Thursday, and by the way, happy Thanksgiving to everyone listening to the podcast. Hopefully you're hopefully you're enjoying it if you're listening to this podcast on Thanksgiving, or if you are catching up on Friday, hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving on Thursday. The Hawks will have the day, at least most of the day off on Thursday to have a celebration of Thanksgiving. Then they were going to fly to Houston on Thursday evening. They play the Rockets on Friday evening. That's 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time game. Uh, Houston, by the way, bizarrely has a four-day break between games. They have not played since Sunday, and they don't play again until Friday when they play the Hawks. So that's a weird scheduling quirk, but they'll be well-rested, let's say, and the Hawks will only have one day off in between games, plus they have to go to Houston. Now, the Rockets are pretty bad. They are 3-14 and 14 this season, and uh, they, were in the, they are actually still in the bottom five on offense and defense at this point. They have some talent. The Hawks saw them in the opener, of course, back in uh, about a month ago at this point, maybe a little bit more than a month ago in the actual season opener. But yeah, that's a game where, you know, you wish it wasn't after Thanksgiving. You wish it was a little bit more of a uh, neutral setting there with Houston not having four days off before the game. But uh, I think the Hawks are obviously a lot better than the Rockets. So we'll see on that one. And they come back home from there. It's a one game road trip to Houston. They play on Sunday at home against the Miami Heat, who are also struggling a little bit. So an opportunity for the Hawks to kind of rack up some wins over the weekend. We'll see if that actually happens. Nothing is assured. I know people will kind of be just be writing this one in pen as they win over, over the Rockets, and I, I get that. But it's still a road game post-Thanksgiving. I guess they will rest the team, so we'll have uh, full coverage of that one. I am barring a trade of some kind in the next day or so. I'm not going to have a podcast between games because it's Thanksgiving. I'm taking the day off, so uh, hopefully that will be uh, – accessible to everybody listening to the podcast but um yeah we'll have full coverage of that game as we always do after the game on friday i've also launched a patreon which i'm writing a little bit and uh not really sure what's gonna happen with that yet just yet but it's at least exists it's patreon.com slash bt roll if you're interested in that but please subscribe to this podcast across platforms apple spotify stitcher Tune in radio, YouTube, all those places. We definitely want you uh, to, to support the show through that medium and leave five-star ratings and reviews and all that fun stuff as well. Also, I do want to encourage you to spread the word about the podcast. If you know someone in your life likes the Hawks, maybe share the podcast with them. Follow the show on Twitter as well, at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter if you'd like to, at BT Roland. Again, one more time, happy Thanksgiving to everyone, and I really appreciate all the support this year with the podcast, everything else. I very much appreciate it. And uh, yeah, enjoy the holiday and we'll see you after the game on Friday.